Legally Blonde, Suits, My Cousin Vinny. All badass lawyers, all different. Which begs the question, what type of lawyer do you want to be? Don't waste another second thinking, ugh, I don't even know what types of lawyers there are. Trust us, we've been there. Let's put a stop to that once and for all. Go take the 90-second quiz from new lawyer now what coach Angela Vorpal to give yourself a clear picture of the best fit type law for you. Go to www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com and take the quiz today. Once you've taken the quiz, send us a DM on Instagram to let us know what type of lawyer you got. We can't wait to hear. For most of us, when we decide that we're going to law school, we have zero idea what type of lawyer we want to be. I know that that was the case when I started. Usually what most of us know about being a lawyer basically comes from Law & Order or Legally Blonde. Shout out to our girl, Elle Woods. So if you're thinking about going to law school or already in law school and want to get some clarity about what types of law actually exist out there and what type of law might be a good fit for you, then we have just the thing for you. A longtime friend of our podcast and law school extraordinaire, Angela Vorpal, has put together a free What Type of Lawyer Should I Be quiz. And I can't tell you guys how many times when I was in like not only law school, but before law school, looking up like what kind of lawyer should I be? And I wish that there was like a quiz out there. So here it is. And we'll have all the links for you. It's a 90 second quiz designed to give you a window into what your best fit type of law would be. Awesome, right? So you can take the quiz at whattypeoflawyerquiz.com. Hi guys, and welcome back to Ladies Who Law School podcast. I'm Haley. And I'm Sam. And this week we have a very special guest. She is one of the co-founders of a full service training and communications firm called Story Imprinting. And you guys, she is so cool. Like, so cool. She was a journalist, then went to law school, became a lawyer, and was a GC. I mean, honestly, let's just be honest. I have a huge girl crush on her. (laughs) Yeah. She talks about how to be a better human at work, which I think everyone needs to listen to. For sure. Um, she talks about business development, executive presence. So important, especially if you're going to be having like your own firm one day, like you need to know all this stuff. And she does a bunch of training with law firms. So definitely tune in if you want to know what that's all about, because you know, law firms, yes, we do law, we do all the things, but there's also a business side to it. And there's like employees and HR and all these things that come along with a business that you yeah. also need to know about. So um, definitely tune in. Let us know what you think. If you like more interviews like this about like the behind the scenes of a law firm. Um, but yeah, let's dive in. Let's do it. Please help me welcome our guest, Miss Holly Amaya from Story Imprinting. Hi, Holly. How are you doing today? Doing well. How are you guys? Hanging in there. <laughs> <laughs> so, Holly, tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah. 
So um, I currently help large companies with crisis communication, strategic communications, and leadership development training. And uh, before I started doing the leadership development portion of it, I didn't even know that that was a thing that companies invested in, right? Because I had I had started my career as a journalist. I had gone on to law school, worked as a lawyer, worked as a general counsel. Um, I had never worked in like tech, which is where leadership development, I think, is really um really richly valued. And it has since, I think, over the last decade or so, really sort of um, as an industry, you see it, you know, across all um, all professions. But I really didn't know what it was. Um, and so I will explain it to your listeners and to you guys in case you are sort of also wondering what the heck that means. So my partner, Anne-Marie Hoftailing, and I will go in to companies um, of all sizes, all types, and train their people from, you know, the most entry-level hire, if that's what they want, all the way up to the C-suite on how to be a better human at work. So um, a lot of our trainings focus on storytelling and narrative, and I'll talk to you guys, I'm sure, at length over the course of this conversation about why storytelling is something um, that I am keenly interested in and have worked in for a long time. Business development, which is if you, you know, if you're listening to this, you're probably going to be a lawyer or you are a lawyer. Um, business development is not anything that they teach you in law school. I don't nope. care where you are. Um, I certainly did not learn it when I was practicing in a firm in any real meaningful way. Uh, so we do a lot of those types of trainings. We talk a lot about this concept of executive presence, um, which, you know, I certainly when I was a lawyer and when I was a young GC, I would get a lot of really amorphous feedback around the idea of my leadership presence or my leadership style and uh, what I found and what my partner has also found and what our training discusses is how that kind of feedback that's not steeped in a behavioral anchor, so specific behaviors that you can change, uh, is not really feedback that serves you, and it rather sort of serves to suppress you in your role. So this is a very long answer to your very straightforward question, but those are the types of things that we train on. We do a lot of training with law firms. Um, large law firms, no surprise, tend to have more of a budget for this type of thing. Yeah. Um, and we have a lot of lawyers that we coach one-on-one -on -one in, in an executive coaching capacity. Um, before I started doing all this work, I was, of course, a lawyer, as I mentioned, worked in a law firm, uh, worked as the GC of a large retail services provider. Um, and I'm happy to talk more about that. And before that, I was a journalist. Um, I've worked a lot in public relations. I still do a lot of that work. So I like to keep my options open, ladies, and kind of have my, Love it. my yes. hands in a lot of, which is, you know, and I'm sorry, I feel like I'm just sort of droning on and on. So feel free to get in here if, if uh, my answers are too long. Um I also feel, you know, when I went to law school, I was sort of told like, oh, that's great. You can do so much with a law degree. And then I came out of law school and I was like, what can I do with this degree except practice law, right? Because yeah. those are the types of jobs that are available to you if you do on-campus recruiting, you know. And, I, and so I've had an interesting journey sort of navigating how to, how to integrate that into something that I feel serves me more than litigating, which is what I was doing. And I'll stop yeah. <laughs> You're absolutely fine. Don't even worry about it. So yeah, let's go back to law school. Tell us where you went to law school and when did you decide you wanted to go to law school? 
So I went to Indiana University School of Law in Bloomington. Um, I grew up in Southern Indiana and I had gone to IU for journalism school. And so IU was, is a, was a very familiar place to me and a very dear place to me. I, when I graduated from undergrad, I took a job in Phoenix, uh, working for the Arizona Republic, which is the largest newspaper in Arizona and a large Metro Daily. Um, and it was a really great job and I really, really loved it. And, um, you know, journalism is a really tough industry, yeah. unfortunately, to eke out a living. And that was in, you know, the early 2000s. Um, it's gotten so much harder, um, again, sadly, because so many talented people have left the industry. And I, you know, I grew up really blue collar in Southern Indiana. My dad, you know, dropped out of school in eighth grade. My mom dropped out in high school, but then went back and got a GED. And nobody that like was in my orbit was a lawyer. Like to me, a lawyer was somebody that you, you know, like represented people that had been accused of a crime, you know? And, um, I, when I was working at the paper, I covered courts in Arizona and I covered breaking news, which often dealt with court cases. And so I just kind of got to know a lot more lawyers and I thought, Oh, there's, I realized that there's more, <laughs> it seems like such a, you know, basic thing to say, but I realized that there was a lot more that I could possibly do. And people would tell me all the time, Oh, you know, you're, you should go to law school. Right. And I don't know if y'all heard that before. Yeah. You went to law school, right? and what are the criteria for a lay person telling you that? Right. But so the industry, the journalism industry, was sort of tanking just to, to put it, you know, not to put any shine on it. And I yeah. thought I need to have kind of a backup plan, which I think is a terrible reason in retrospect to go to law school. By the way. <laughs> okay. Now knowing and, what uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, uh, like a lot of people who go to law school, type A overachiever, you know, once I got there, I was like, I'm going to crush this. I, you know, want to get the A star in every class, right? Um, and still, you know, I would say up until my third year, really didn't know what I wanted to do. Have you been looking for podcast-like audio lessons to learn about law school? I know when we were in law school, we were begging for something like this. Well, we found just the resource for you, and they are amazing, guys. We've been working with Barcast Audio for over three years now, so basically since we were 1Ls. Now that we are baby little soon-to-be lawyers... We can definitely say that it was worth our time to get Barcast Audio. So if you want to check it out and learn about all the core subjects and the MBE subjects, definitely go to BarcastAudio.com. And Haley, will you tell our listeners their special code? Yes. Use code LADIES. That's L-A-D-I-E-S at BarcastAudio.com to get 10% off your next purchase. So during law school, what were some of your struggles and accomplishments? We'll be right back. Hey guys, we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers, Audible. Yes, Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies, and mysteries. And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime. Speaking of thrillers, I know you are currently hooked on Never Lie by Frida McBadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it? 
Absolutely. The twists and turns in Never Lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go. And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money, My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management. What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go, whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing. So if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer. So I think one of my struggles, frankly, was that law school is staggeringly expensive, right? I mean, can I get an amen? (laughs) Like I I was working as a a TA and I was also bartending at night to try and, you know, to supplement my scholarships and my loans. I didn't have parents that were paying for it. So that was, you know, challenging. This was before the great financial crisis, I should also say. So it was much more of this idea of like, oh, you go to law school and you do really well and you're in the top 20% of your mm, class mm. and you can get a job at a big law firm. Like, no problem. You're set. Like, just pay all that monopoly money back, right? Um, Indiana, like, made me, uh, because I had been, I was an alumna and I, um, you know, had had met certain standards, they were generous and gave me a nice financial aid package, which is why I went there, frankly, over other schools um, that were, you know, ranked higher, right? Yeah. According to some list, right? So, yeah. so even then, I still had to work, and so that was hard, right? I would say it's hard to be in a place where everybody is smart, just like you, when you've been yeah. told that you're super special and smart your whole life, right? I mean, that was a very sobering experience, in a good way. Focusing too much on the struggles, I'll I'll, I'll get to the positive part of the question, but. I um, I met my husband in law school, which was pro- the greatest thing to happen to me in law school. And yeah, um, yeah and we were in the same one all class, you know, so all the same class. He's from California, and I had planned to go back to Phoenix. And he was like, "There's no way I cannot do the heat. He just can't." Like if if people who people who live where I live now, which is San Diego, they're very very weak when it comes to any kind of weather. <laughs> you guys have some weather happening behind you. Like people here just lose their minds if it's you know, hotter than eighty. This was in two thousand seven in the summer, and I was like, "Oh no problem. I've had no problem getting job offers. This is going to be great. We'll go to San Diego. Like, why wouldn't they want me?" The wild hubris in that in that thought process, by the way, right? Like I just thought, of course, it's all going to be fine. Blissfully unaware of sort of like the news cycle happening behind me. Um, yeah. So I had turned down a job offer in Arizona the fall, September of my third year, which was 2007. And then like two weeks later, the markets all crashed and there were just no jobs, right? So that third year, I was very stressed about like, what in the heck are we going to do, right? My husband was like, it's going to be fine, you know? Man, if I had a shred of that confidence, you know, um, and you know, we, ulti- we ultimately ended up landing on our feet, but it was a very humbling experience. I would say, you know, when I graduated from law school, my whole extended family came to my graduation, which was really um, a really incredible feeling, you know, I mean, because it was a really big deal for them. You know, there was only a few of us that had gone to college. The fact that I had gone to graduate school was really, you know, they were, they, they just were whooping it up. They loved it. So that was a really proud moment. 
I spent my third year um, as an extern for Indiana Legal Services, which is uh, provides low cost and or no cost rather legal representation yeah. to people throughout Southern Indiana or throughout the state. But I was working in Southern Indiana in these rural counties, and I worked with this guy Tom Froman, who was just the most incredible mentor. Um, you know, could have gone and worked at a large law firm and been a very, lived a very comfortable life, but he chose to dedicate himself to low-income people in Indiana. And it was just really a masterclass in humanity and good lawyering. Mm-hmm. Um, he just was an incredible guy. I actually found out just a couple of weeks ago that he passed from uh, pancreatic cancer. And I was devastated. And I had not yeah. talked to him in several years. But in reconnecting with his wife and with um, other clerks of his, you know, we, I, I, he... I, this is not a unique um, sentiment that I'm sharing. Everybody felt that way about him. And yeah. and I remember, I mean, I think some of the best lessons we learn in life are sort of what happens in the day-to-day, you know? And um, I remember driving around with Tom and these, we would go to these like rural counties in Southern Indiana and he would always just, he was really genuinely interested in, in like what was going on in my life. And I remember him saying, you know, how's it going with Dave? Who's now my husband, but he was my boyfriend at the time. And I was like, I mean, it's fine. You know, it's fine. I just don't, I just don't, I don't feel like I am deserving of, of him. And Tom was like, Holly, you are, you are deserving of all the, all the, all the successes in the world and yeah. all good things. And you have to start believing that you know, because nobody's going to believe it for you. And it sounds really cheesy, but it's one of those moments that sticks with you, like a core memory, right? There's a lot of talk yeah. about core memories. That's a core memory. Um, so these are very like sort of non-traditional law school accomplishments. You know, I was on like the law journal and I graduated in a certain percentage of my class and got an A star in a couple yeah. of classes. And that's all great, but it was more, I think, those experiences that stand out. I love that. Also, you should know that... Uh, Oh yeah, I'm engaged to my one um, L law school yeah, sweetheart. Congratulations! So. That's so exciting. Are you going to get married? Like, when are you getting married? Um, next October. I love it. That's that's yep. awesome. Dave and I like did not talk our whole first year because we could not be more different in terms of our social. <laughs> like, he was suspicious of me because I talked to too many people. I don't know, even know what that means to this day. And I just thought he was like this aloof guy from California. He was like one of three kids from the West Coast in our class. Yeah, We didn't talk until our date auction, our second year that I was emceeing, which by the way, would never happen now. This is, I'm totally dating myself, but that was the event. And um, nobody bid yeah. on poor David because it was the end of the night and I had to I had to and so you're like, oh my god, yeah. that's so cute, though. <laughs> Two kids later, <laughs> I love that. I love that. So, what was what ended up being the job situation? I mean, like you said, you're two weeks in to 3L and the market crashes, and now it's time to graduate, and you, mm-hmm. you know, you're, it's time to move to a California, different state. Yeah. yeah. So, like, what ended up happening? Well, so I um, have never been afraid to ask people for their time. Um, And I I think that that's an important, I'm going to make an important caveat to that. You have to make it worth their time to spend time with you. But I have never been shy about asking people, tell me about your experience. I want to hear about how you got got to be in this city doing this work. 
So I kind of started um, third year when I realized that's where we were going. We got engaged third year. I was like, okay, I, I have, I don't know anybody in Southern California and San Diego is a very niche, small market anyway, compared to like Orange County or of course, Los Angeles, um, where yeah. I did not want to live. So no offense to any LA listeners. <laughs> just not um, and so I, I asked our career services office for a list of all the alums that they had in California, in Southern California. And I just started cold calling them, cold emailing them really. Cause it's, you know, people can choose to ignore an email. Right. And I, I felt like it was a little aggressive to be calling them. And I did research of course, before I talked mm-hmm. to each of these people, but I, I basically <clears throat> would say, I'm going to be in San Diego in March. This was not true, but I just thought, well, if somebody wants to meet me, I'll fly out there and meet with them. Right. And, um, <laughs> I said, I'd love to hear, I, I, I was care- careful not to phrase it as like, I'm desperate. Give me a job because people can totally sniff that desperation out. But I instead, sure. you know, said, you know, listen, I, I'm interested in labor and employment. I know that that's what you do. I'd love to talk to you. And, you know, some people were like, yeah. And other people just totally ignored me. I ended up flying out over spring break in third year. And, uh, my in-laws own, own a place here. Um, they live here permanently now, but they owned a place here. So I stayed in like their condo with no furniture in it. And like drove downtown and met like five different lawyers for coffee Oh, and one of them, her name is Amy Nafusi. I'm going to send her this recording so she can listen to it and listen to her shout out. But she at the time was a partner at DLA Piper and she's now at Semper Energy um, in-house. And she is hilarious. She says, you know, I, you were so persistent. Like you emailed me three or four times that finally I was like, I've got to take this poor girl out for coffee, yes. right? And what like, serial killer I'll leave, like if I'm getting that vibe. <laughs> So I met her at uh, a coffee shop across from her office and we ended up totally hitting it off. And she said, I was like, so surprised, you know, that that I really liked you. You're a normal person. And I really approached that conversation very from a place of really genuine, genuine, radical curiosity about, you know, she's from Indianapolis. How did you get to LA and then San Diego? And we are still friends to this day. She's a wonderful person. Um, That's amazing. And, you know, I think the lesson there is that like, you have to approach all of these conversations from a place of authenticity and just gen- genuine radical curiosity about other people. So I did that, but I won't lie to you. Like we graduated, we had no job. And my mom was like, what are you doing moving out there? We were super fortunate because Dave's parents um, were living in the Inland Empire, Inland LA County. And they were very generous. They were like, come live with us while you guys study for the bar. So I was like, okay, my job is going to be studying for the bar this summer. That's what we did. And I, by the way, meanwhile, was terrified because all of my loan money was about to stop. Right. And I came across, I, I, I came across an interesting, interesting conundrum because I, because I was striking out so hard with jobs that frankly, you know, I had, when I was in law school in these heady pre great financial crisis days, I was getting offers pretty much anywhere I interviewed. I know that sounds kind of like a jerk thing to say, but that was very much a function of the market at that time, right? If you were of a level in your class, right? Because they would have these massive summer classes and so much work and then all the work started to dry up. So um, I, I, my ego definitely took a, I think a much needed beating. I think I needed that a little bit, Um, but I just started applying to literally every firm in town. Got so many rejection letters and I was like, Dave, I think I'm going to like, work at Starbucks, which is like, which is great because we need money, right? And there's a Starbucks yeah. in our building, the score, you know? Um, and in California, a lot of firms, particularly in markets like San Diego, smaller firms will hire you as a post bar exam law clerk, 
which means, and, and they may not do this anymore because again, labor laws and whatnot, like <laughs> employment laws have shifted radically, especially in a place like California. They just wouldn't pay you. They pay, they basically treat you like an intern yeah. between July when you took the bar and then November when you get your results. So it was this period where you're like billing and you're trying to learn. So I got a job at an insurance defense firm. I had no idea what insurance defense really was because I had been working at, I had been clerking in the summers at big law firms where I was not doing that kind of work. And, um, did the post bar clerk thing. They ended up giving me like a full-time job offer. I was making a fraction of what I would have made in Arizona, but you know, that's, that, that is life. And that that's the consequence of a choice that I made, but that job really taught me how to litigate. Like I was taking a deposition on my second day. Like I had, I was way ahead of my skis. I had no idea really what I was doing, but it um, was a, it was a great training ground. So that's a, again, I'm kind of sorry. I'm kind of getting ahead of you. You asked sort of what the job market was like. The job market was really tough, <laughs> but we ultimately, yeah. with a lot of persistence, um, both landed on our feet. I think that's a good lesson for everybody listening, even for us mm-hmm. and for me. <laughs> and you were saying your loans are running out, and we're like nodding our head like, yeah, yes, we like, understand exactly. Like five dollars in our account. Cause yeah, because like, you know, times are your first paycheck doesn't come in until like you've been a weird working, time. And, like you yeah. don't get paid, and like yeah. So so we totally get we that, understand. and I think that people will just find a lot of confidence and solace. Yeah. And the fact that sometimes you do just have to be persistent and just because, yeah, you seem like a crazy person, just wait till they meet you. And then they're like, wow, you're normal and cool. (laughs) Like That's all you need. I'll tell you now too, like kind of being on the flip side of this, my husband's a partner at a a large labor and employment national firm. And with the two of us, mostly him now, because he's the one who's actually practicing law. So he's the one that people think could get them a job. But by the way, if you're in San Diego, I'm the one that can get you a job because I know it. (laughs) Um, but we get these emails yes. and like you can, the ones where the, the self-centered, self-centered sort of me focused emails are the ones that I'm like, ignore that. That person is just obviously out to see what you can do for them. But every so often you get emails that are really like, I, you know, they've done their research. They know like sort of when we graduated, what we do, they know that I'm not practicing anymore, like all that kind of thing. And they'll say, I'd like to talk to you, you know, about sort of your path. And um, that's how you forge a more authentic connection, right? It's not just, you should not approach if you're, if you're in a position, if you're listening to this and you're sort of cold calling, um, and trying to find work, or maybe you want to transition from one area of interest to another, you know, you, you really need to A, do your research and and B, just make it other focused, right? It's not about, they're not going to give you a job in that coffee meeting, like most likely, right? It's more about like, how can you, you're in the information gathering phase, you know? Yep. Absolutely. I, I mean, that. retweet, hear that, re- back it up, listen again, because <laughs> it's so true. Okay, so t- tell us, though. Okay, so you, you got the the job. Did you say it was at a labor and employment firm? No, so insurance events. Sorry. Insurance That's right. That's fine. Yeah, and then you – did you uh, – I know that you were general counsel and in-house at one point in your career before yeah. working at Story Imprinting. So yeah. walk us through, like, how you got from insurance events, the GC, to where you are now. So when I took that job, I knew immediately the insurance defense job, defense job, this was like not where I was going to make my career. It just, it just wasn't. Um, and so I sort of was con I, I, you know, obviously the market needed to change, um, before I could make a jump. And at that time, I mean, it's just so funny. My husband and I were talking today, like, and the antithesis to the current labor market, right? People were just 
thrilled to have a job. Like they were thrilled yeah. to be employed. Um, and now it's, you know, the, it, we're seeing, you know, such different trends. Um, and so I was there for about a year and then uh, got a job offer to go to a firm that did a lot of plaintiff's work, which interest, interested me. It also did a lot of real estate. And frankly, I was like, I just want to try something else. So it, it was another small firm because, again, this was like 2000, end of 2009, early 2010. Um, so big firms were not hiring. And I, at that point, kind of realized that, at least for me and my husband, we didn't have kids or anything yet, but he was at a big firm at that point, And I was like, I just don't know if we both can do that because of I just wasn't sure that it was going to work for us. Right. It works for some, I didn't know that it was going to work for us. So I was at that firm for a few years and I just was constantly building my network. Right. Which is another great piece of advice. I think, um, seems obvious, but trying to build my network in a really authentic way, having lunch with a lot of people again, in a very other focused way. Tell me about what you do. How did you get into that? Did you always know that you wanted to be an estate planning attorney? Right. Like all that kind of stuff. I got very involved with Lawyers Club of San Diego, which is um, uh, a specialty bar association that's specifically focused on the advancement of women. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that was very helpful. And when I would see interesting jobs, I would just throw my hat in the ring. I think this is an what I'm about to say is important, and I want everybody to listen to it, Uh, particularly if you're a woman, if you're a person of color. Uh, you do not need to have all of the bullet points on the job description to apply for the job, okay? Like... It's okay. The job description is just a piece of paper or a digital file. Um, So many women that we work with are like, well, I haven't drafted 198-page contracts for this type of client while standing on my head on a Tuesday, so I'm not going to apply, right? And that's just not... Uh, how these True. things work. We know yeah. that there's, I mean, there's data around this that men tend to apply and put their hat in the ring for things that they are totally not qualified for. And they get those, you know, whether it's a board appointment, whether it's a job and they figure it out, right? So much of, I think, practicing law, being a human is like figuring it out with, yep. you know, with your boots on the ground. And so, you know, I, for a while I would not apply for things, but this job came up at this company was international, which does inventory services for retailers. I had no idea, you know, anything about inventory services, but I was like, Oh, I think with what they're paying, they would hire me because all of the really experienced GC types, um, or in-house counsel types, like probably would not be interested in this job. And so I applied and I interviewed and I got the job and I was, I think, um, 30 and I was the only lawyer for this company. It had a lot of seasonal employee employees, but at, at, you know, the, the most busy time of year, 20,000 employees, multiple countries, you know, we were, there was a lot of employment litigation, um, <laughs> oh, yeah. a lot of, a lot of EOC complaints, DFEH, which is the California state and, um, fair employment and housing agency and all their contracts. And then I also, because I was like housed with the HR department, people would come in at all times of day being like, so-and-so wants to fire somebody and blah, 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 you know, like, or here's like, you know, some crazy text that employs another employee. And it just was, was, the days were never different. I did that job for several years. Ultimately, I tell this story a lot and I'm going to tell a short version of it just for the sake of brevity and your time in this session. But again, just another truth bomb life lesson I'm going to drop on on all of you. You can always pivot. It's never too late to pivot just because you've paid for a law school education. Maybe you don't want to be a lawyer that you can still pivot. So I was in Philadelphia. I had been sent there to talk about a termination 
such a great reason to have to go to Philadelphia. I live in California where in March it's warm. It was March in Philadelphia. It was very cold. I land, Mm -hmm. I get in my rental car. I have like a nine month old baby at this point and uh, she's home. I'm nursing. So I'm like breast pumping. It's all just so not glamorous. Uh, But that was exactly what I was doing. I get in my rental car at like midnight. I get on the turnpike and I get a flat tire and my phone has like 2% battery. My mom like was so mad about this story. She's like, you could have died out there, you know, but again, hubris, you guys, I I don't know what I was thinking. I I ultimately called a a, a highway patrol and asked if they would come change my tire. And I could tell, I could sense sort of like the incredulity of the dispatcher. She's like, you want us to what? And I'm like, I can't freeze to death out here, please. It's snowing. I, I don't have a coat. Like it was a hot mess, you guys, hot mess. And, um, I was on the side of the road in that car. And I thought, oh my God. I, and in all seriousness, I thought this, I'm going to freeze to death in this Toyota Camry doing a job that I do not like. What am I doing? And yeah. I, you know, went and did the thing that I needed to do, got on my way, did the thing the next day, flew home. And I said to my husband, I am quitting my job. Yeah. And to his great credit, he was like, okay. <laughs> um, I said, I, I'm not going to quit right now, but I have to form an exit strategy. And so I, I started just asking around again, like having lunches with people, talking to people. And I had lunch with my dear friend, Dave Sislak, who I've known for a long time, who um, was a reporter with me in Arizona. Maintain those relationships, you guys. You never know like when yeah. your paths will cross with people again. I met Dave on my first day on the job as a journalist in 2004. And um, you know, then he, he moved to San Diego and he had started a PR firm. And he's like, you should come work for me. And I was like, what are you talking about? I don't know how to do PR. And he's like, Holly, you know yes, how to tell stories. You know how to do PR. Like, I'll teach you. And I'm really grateful because Dave made it. It, it was a path, right? Like, it doesn't always happen that way. Yeah. Uh, it was not a perfect path. You know, it was not really the money I wanted to be making initially. But he incentivized me to bring in business um, there at the beginning. And so, um, you know, that was a, a great, that sort of gave me a lot of hope because I've always been pretty entrepreneurial. So I ended up working with Dave um, and his team until uh, the end of 2019. And I had been doing a lot of work with my now business partner, Anne-Marie Hoftailing, who I think you guys are going to talk to soon. She's phenomenal. She has an incredible storytelling and business development background. And um, I had known her for a long time, and she had her own business doing training. And, and she was like, Holly, there's so much overlap between what we do. You should just come. We should be partners. <laughs> and again, I was like, what? We should be partners. We should start a company. Like, what are you talking about? I don't know how to do that, right? Because I didn't go to business school, so I don't know how to start a company. This is my yeah. internal monologue. I'm inviting you guys inside my mind, but that's literally what I was thinking, right? She's like, oh, no, we're, you, we can totally do it. It's fine. And so um, we launched our company, which is, again, centered on teaching companies and people the art and neuroscience of storytelling, training them. And also I have a, a whole PR piece of the business and a crisis communication piece of the business that I am still very active in. Uh, We started that right before the pandemic, which was a hell of a time to start a business. We had plans for it. We were going to like have parties and we got a WeWork space. And then like two months later, nobody was going to parties or WeWork, you know? So 
I'm, I'm proud to say that we are still, we are stronger than ever, still going strong, expanding our lines of business, working a lot with lawyers. So it all kind of comes full circle when I sort of tell people the trajectory, they're like, Oh man, like you've done like all kinds of random things. And I'm like, yeah, I wish that I could tell you it was this really strategic sort of hand of God wizard of Oz behind the curtain thing, but it was not. Some of it was just dumb luck, frankly. <laughs> well, that that's kind of, the best story. Yeah, so. yeah. And I feel like, you know, everything happens for a reason. reason. And yeah. sometimes you're in that situation, you know, like at a job you hate and you're like, why am I doing this right now? But then you look back and you're like, oh, it's because of that. That's why I had to do this. You yeah. Know? You had to know what you did or didn't like. And I mean, it, it took you getting a flat tire pumping on the side yeah. of the road in cold Philadelphia. And you're like, what am I doing? You know, it's doing? sometimes yeah. just those moments in life that you just need. And you, you don't get there without making a few mistakes and doing some things you don't like. So, so I think it's great that you mentioned, you know, how to pivot and like mm, yeah. that you can pivot with a law degree, because I think so many people get caught up in you know, their identity of being a lawyer. And that's like the only thing that they can ever do with their yeah. degree. And it like defines them, you know, and just being able to pivot mm-hmm. gives you the freedom to like explore any type of thing you may be interested in, which I love. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, just like showing up and doing the thing that you say you're going to do, like whether it's in school and business and your personal relationships, that's what people remember. Um, I just was talking to my <clears throat> friend, Deb Dixon, who just got named the general counsel of the Chargers, which used to be San Diego's fit top ball team until LA took them away. But Deb and I have known each other forever since I arrived on the scene in San Diego. And she has her own firm with another guy that I worked with like many jobs ago at that plaintiff's firm. And this announcement happened yesterday and I called her and I was like, this merits a phone call. This is incredible. I'm so happy for you. I didn't want to just text you. And I think the story, um, I don't know intricate details, but I know that like part of, of that was just you know, she showed up and did what she said she was going to do and did what she said she was going to do really well. And and this was not like something that was on her mood board, you know what I mean? But that person who was in a position to make that hiring decision down the road, um, hurt, you know, remembered that. And I think, you know, that's, it's, it's something it's, especially now, I think, you know, nothing that we do really like ever goes away. It lives in infamy on the internet. So just kind of like showing up and, and, and doing what you say you're going to do, I think can really pay dividends down the road in ways that you don't even imagine. You couldn't even imagine. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So last question, you know, you talk about doing media and PR and, you know, crisis communication. Tell us one tip that you would give for the young lawyer as they go out. You know, obviously, you know, you gave a lot of tips about networking and keeping up those connections, but as far as, you know, PR and a young lawyer, what is your tip that you want them to know? Yeah, great question. So I would, I, I have actually two tips. Okay, Sorry. perfect. <laughs> of course, I, of course. I would say, you know, be mindful. And this this goes back actually to what I was just saying. Um, you know, personal branding kind of has like a dirty connotation, like a smarmy connotation. I think a lot of people I know 
are like, oh, I don't want to talk about myself. Oh, you know, well, if you don't take care of sort of your reputation and and sort of ha- and the, this idea of sort of branding is how you leave others feeling about you, that's really how you should think about it. Uh, then someone else will, right? Like, no, like you, you, you are in control of sort of how you show up. Um, and that starts, you may, if you're in law school and you're listening to this, you might be thinking like, well, that doesn't really apply to me because I'm not on the job yet. It applies all the time. Right. So always be mindful of, of that, both within your organization and externally. Branding is not just about like, you know, talking to the press. It's about, um, you know, how, how you show up at work and how you show up for other people. Um, and I think, you know, Anne Marie, when you talk to her, I'm sure we'll talk a lot about executive presence, which I referenced earlier. I want all of you to know that you have the wild ability and capability to have leadership presence in the body that you're in exactly as you're put together. Um, it is not about a black suit. It is not about a strong handshake. It is um, about so much more than that. And I think that executive presence has has this very sort of white male heteronormative um, bias to it. And you don't need to look like Don Draper from Mad Men to have executive presence. You are capable of having it exactly as you are. I and Anne-Marie both write and talk extensively about this. And we are always on LinkedIn wanting to talk about this topic. So feel free to connect with us there. Um, Because I think that, you know, there's not a lot of scholarship on this, really. There's like one Harvard Business Review article, and it's all about like a handshake and like, who cares about that, right? There are going to be moments when you are coming out of law school, when you're looking for a job, when you're not getting a job, when you are getting passed over for something at a firm, when you, you know, get a crap ruling, when you miss a deadline, because guess what? We all have done that before. And typically you can fix it, um, where you are going to feel the need to sort of pummel yourself relentlessly. And so be gentle with yourself. You've made it this far wildly capable, just as you are. Oh my gosh, I needed to hear that. I'm sure so many of you guys out there probably needed to hear that too. So (laughs) speaking of LinkedIn, tell everybody, Holly, where they can find you after this if they do want to connect and chat a little bit more. Yep, totally. So Story and Printing is just at Story and Printing, like on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, My name is Holly Amaya, A-M-A-Y-A. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can uh, follow me on, you can send me a follow request on Instagram. I just basically post a lot of pictures of my kids and my dog. So (laughs) that might not be of interest, but definitely follow (laughs) me pages. And you can also check out Story and Printing online. If you're still confused about exactly what it is that we do, it's www.storyandprinting.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, ladies. Have a great one. Well, guys, I know that if I ever open up my own law firm, I definitely want to hire someone like Holly to make sure that nothing goes awry. Hashtag crisis manager. Right. Yeah, because I think, you you know, like we said before, the business aspect of a law firm is so important to be grow. Because yeah, you can be a great lawyer, you can have great work, but if you don't know how to market it, if you don't know how to brand your firm properly, yeah, like that is can be a huge impediment. Well, and just so much more that goes into being a large firm or a part of a large business, a part of a C-suite. I mean, in corporations class, we learn about the board of directors and I know there's so many times that they in the cases we would read where they would mess it up for everybody. And, you know, Holly's the person that you call story imprinting are the people that you call to come and help you 
fix the mess up and also train your C-suite people, your lawyers, your GCs, anyone in the company or at the law firm, how to, you know, not do it again. So, I mean, this episode was just like none other. I know we were so happy to get the reach out to have Holly on our podcast. I thought one of the coolest things though was that she was a journalist before and you know, I have my background in PR. That's what I got my degree in. And so when she was talking about it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like a classic role in my mind, like a movie almost, right? Someone who's a journalist and becomes a lawyer and then grows into Olivia Pope or something, you know? So it was very cool to have her insights and let us know what it's like to be general counsel. Let us know what it's like to open up your own business and all these different things that come along with that and what she's seen happen for law firms as she's helped them grow, like you said. So if you guys liked this interview, make sure to subscribe so you can always be in the know for new interviews and episodes, mostly every Monday. That might change a little bit with the bar exam coming up, but we'll keep you posted. Yeah, for sure. Um, oh, go ahead. Also, make sure to get on our website, ladieswholawschool.com, and subscribe to our email list. We are going to start launching more codes for merchandise, new merchandise, things that are changing, like episodes, new episodes, different things like that. You definitely want to be a part of the email list to join and even be a more part of our community. I know that's something we're definitely leaning into. So we want to keep you guys abreast of everything that we're doing now, but also you need to subscribe because we're about to do a crazy big giveaway and you don't want to miss that. And we're not kidding when it's like a huge giveaway, like you guys are going to be shook to the core. Like I wish I could win this giveaway, (laughs) you know, but you guys, we love you and we're doing it. Yeah. We're doing it to celebrate 20 K on Instagram. So if you're not following us on Instagram, Go follow us at Ladies Who Law School Podcast. Help us get to 21K. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we're always posting on there. If you know you ever want to reach out to us, you can DM us. You can send us an email. If you ever have a guest that you're like, you know what? My professor is really cool. I think they should be on the podcast. Yeah. Send their contact info- information over because we're always looking for very interesting people to be on the podcast and we want to be intentional with who we bring on and we want them to be what you guys want to listen to. Absolutely. All right, guys, make sure, like Samantha said, to subscribe, to listen every Monday. And the biggest compliment you can give us is recommending us to a friend. All right. We'll talk to you guys again next week. Bye. Bye.